Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. And so there was a time in the nation of Israel, God's people, God's nation, when they were taken into what was called the exile. And this is happening in the 6th century B.C., And what had happened was the city of Jerusalem, which was considered God's holy city, had been taken over by what was at the time a superpower called the nation of Babylon. And what Babylon was notorious for doing, what they did during their their season of being this big power in the ancient world, was when they would take over uh, important cities and areas, they they wouldn't just destroy them. What they would do is they would desecrate the city, but then they would take what we might call today the brightest and best back with them to Babylon. It's kind of a clever strategy. Then the city couldn't rebuild, and they would have all those resources for themselves. So they take over Jerusalem, They destroy it, and they bring back to Babylon with them. Sorry, let me just get this mic bent. They bring back to Babylon the royalty, the most educated, the wealthiest, and they leave in the city those who, in their mind, wouldn't be able to rebuild. God's people live in Babylon for 70 years, and at the end of that time, all the political landscape has changed, and they make their way back to Jerusalem. It's a ruined city. They've had now many decades without having people who can teach them God's word. And and this in the book of Nehemiah tells us about a man named Ezra who is now back in the city and trying to bring people back to the ways of God. That's the setup for this passage. Okay, so if you would like to follow along, you can in the Bibles in front of you on page 389. And it's out of Nehemiah, and it starts in chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for just this occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Mahasiah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hashum, Hashabanana, Zechariah, and Mashulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people, they stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people 
lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yemen, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Mahasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Yozabad, Hanan, and Paliah instructed the people in the law, which the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is in your strength. Amen. Amen. Well done, Neil. So, um, take a little, take a little, like, take a little bow there, Neil. Um, when I went out to our office manager this week, I said, "Here's the passage. It has a lot of hard names." <laughs> and uh, well, well done, and uh, much better job than I did at Sunday at home this morning. We have an online service we did at nine, and I recommend you listen to Neil's reading of those names over mine. We've been talking together about the ways God has made the body of Christ, the ways God has made people. And we've actually been looking together um, for some time at a scripture from the book of Ephesians, which reads, and you're going to see it on your screen here, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So what we've been talking about is these five big categories of how God has made us. There are other gifts within these categories, which we'll talk about as time goes on, but there's these five big categories. And if you want to know what they're about, I said this last week, here's a handy reminder, eh? using your hand, okay. I didn't even try that, but then it happened, it was so good. Okay, so uh, the first one that we talk about is God made some to be apostles, which we remember with our thumb. Apostles govern. Thumbs affect every other finger. They are the only one that can touch each finger. And apostles are our starters who lay groundwork. We'll talk about that more. Prophets are the pointer finger. Prophets guide. And so those whose God equipped to be prophets are the ones who point us to God, who point us to God's ways and lead us in the right ways. This joke will keep being funny, but yes, evangelists are the middle finger because as they reach out, they're the ones that reach the furthest to gather us in. They gather. Evangelists are the ones who bring people in to the church. 
Pastors, we talked about last week. If you weren't here, all our sermons are available on podcasts, and you can hear that in more detail. They are represented by this finger, which is usually one that wears a wedding band, if you're married. And this finger is one of covenant and love, and pastors guard. They guard and care for the family. And today we're going to talk about the pinky finger, the one represented by the pinky finger. I'm not going to do an entire sermon about the pinky finger. But the pinky finger reminds us of teachers and that teachers ground. Now, why the pinky? I actually knew a man many years ago who had had to have a pinky removed. I'm not sure why. And I was, forget, I was a teenager, and now teenagers are smarter than me, but I'll give some credit that uh, maybe the naivety of youth. I actually said to him one day when we were talking about his finger, I said, but I guess it's good it was the pinky, because it doesn't have a lot of use, right? In a very insensitive thing to say. Um, <laughs> Like, you lost a finger, but at least it wasn't a good one, I basically say. <laughs> um, and he says, you know, Leanne, he was a much older man, he says, I miss this pinky so much. I just can't ever seem to figure out how to quite use my hand without it. My hand just doesn't work quite right. Because pinkies provide balance. They keep the rest of the hand in balance. And that's what teachers do. Teachers ground. And so those who have been equipped to be teachers, you'll see on your screen here, that ground us, they learn God's word, they communicate God's word, and in so doing, they equip the people of God, they ground us as we learn more. Now, as I've said other weeks, Jesus has all five of these things, right? Jesus is God, and Jesus embodies all of these things in the ways that we, uh, God makes us because they come from Jesus who has them all. Let me give you some examples of Jesus as a teacher. First of all, the number one title in the Gospels for Jesus, which the Gospels are the books about Jesus' life specifically in the Bible, the number one word that's used for Jesus is rabbi. Rabbi means teacher, And there are a lot of examples. In Matthew 5, it starts by saying, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and it goes on to say, blessed are you who, blessed are you who, and then he teaches uh, a, a series of teaching that we actually spent a long time in last year that's now called the Sermon on the Mount, teaching what it means to follow his ways and know God. And that whole section ends in Matthew 7 when it reads, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. We can see more at how people were amazed at the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, at the end it reads, Coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in the synagogue. That was their place of worship. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom, they asked. They were amazed. And some of you will maybe know your Bible well, some of you may not know it as well, but there are so many beautiful examples of Jesus' teaching. And often he used something called parables, which were little stories to make a point. So for example, one day someone said, you know, teacher, um, who is my neighbor? Because Jesus said to love your neighbor. And then Jesus told this really powerful story. And he said, you know, once there was a man who was walking down a road. He was on this really treacherous road going to a place called Jericho. And he was attacked and he was beaten up and left for dead. And then he talks about how one of the religious leader, a priest, walks by, and he ignores him. And he talks about how a Levite walks by, and then he says he ignores him. And then he says, but then a Samaritan, and this was a hated people group in their time, 
He says a Samaritan walked by, and he stopped, and he picked him up, and he bandaged his wounds, and he looked after him, doing a short version of this, and he says, who do you think was the neighbor? That's good teaching, isn't it? They say, oh, the Samaritan. And there's so many examples of Jesus teaching in that way. But another great example of a teacher from Scripture, Neil read so well for us, is this man named Ezra. And as I explained, he's teaching after these people have come back from Babylon 70 years. So a lifetime, right? Most of you, the people coming back likely hadn't ever lived in Jerusalem. It wasn't like they were seeing people they knew. They were seeing descendants of family and friends. And now they're trying to bring people back to God. And what I love about the story in Nehemiah is it says that Ezra gets up and what he begins by doing is he reads the word of God. He says, you've forgotten it. Let me read it again. And then there's this other great line where it says the other teachers gather around and they say, they read the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so people could understand. What a great example of a teacher, right? When you read more about Ezra, you see there's another verse that talks about how he loved to study the law. And then much history holds that Ezra also had a role in then interpreting their scriptures at the time that were in Hebrew. He actually then puts the Hebrew scriptures into uh, the modern language. I, I mean, we're not really sure if this is exactly he's the one who did it, but then ultimately it gets translated into Greek, which now many of them will later eventually begin to speak. And so I think it's a stretch that is a bit, but anyway, some will say that. And so there's this idea that now people can read it in what they're speaking, because now this is an important language. And so as things go on, we see that Ezra is teaching and he's saying, come back and remember the word of God. Remember the word of God. And he makes it so they can understand. That's what a teacher does. Now, there's other examples of teachers in scripture. I also love this similar idea of someone who makes things understandable, but also makes sure things are true. And in Acts chapter 18, in verse 26, we meet Priscilla and Aquila, a couple, uh, a man and a woman who were married to each other. And it reads, he began to speak boldly. I should start at the beginning in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited them to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. You see what happens there? I love that. So he's up, he's preaching, it says he's fervorous, he knows the word of God really well, and then they take him aside and they're like, um, you kind of missed a little bit there, let me just straighten that out. Also a gift of teaching, and some of you often do that for me. Thank you. <laughs> Took you a minute, you got there. There are so many gifted teachers here at Mount Hamilton. Some of you will know them, some of you don't. One of them is a woman named Judy Bailey. Judy Bailey teaches ECE, and she does a lot of training courses and parenting courses. If you've ever done a parenting course with Judy Bailey, have you? Some of you? She's amazing. She's amazing at teaching Sunday school. And in fact, uh, last year, she, was, she teaches Sunday school. Uh, she does the fifth Sundays of the month. She was for a while. And my son, who was 12, came home one day after Sunday school, and he said, Mom, have you ever seen Judy Bailey teach Sunday school? She's amazing. That's something, isn't it? That's a gifted teacher. 
You can watch her when the little children just look up at her like this. It's incredible. Nathan Krampitz, a retired missionary here in our church, for years ran a seminary in India and taught teachers how to be teachers. Amanda DeSantis, who's sitting here, many of you have been influenced by her gift of teaching. You've probably never seen her up here teaching. She loves mentoring people and meeting with them one-on-one and has shown so many people how to grow in their faith. And we have many in our, our um, midst here who are actually studying at our local seminary, McMaster Divinity School. We have a lot of PhD students. And we actually have the president, who's not here today, I meant to pray from early, uh, earlier, Dr. Stanley Porter, who is indeed a very gifted teacher. He actually leads a seminary here in our, in our city. Um, and please pray for him. He had, uh, had to have his appendix removed this week. So we hope that he will recover soon <laughs> and he can get back to his gift. And I, took, I remember very vividly taking my first course ever when I went to seminary, which is where pastors train from Stan Porter. And he sat up front, and I remember saying after, this was the days before people brought laptops to class, so I'm aging myself. I remember saying I couldn't write fast enough. I just couldn't write fast enough. I just sat there enthralled as he taught. But what do teachers do? Well, specifically, they bring us to maturity. Teachers help us learn faith. They learn, help us learn in truth. Not quite at that slide yet, but I'll be there shortly. And they ground us, and they bring us a great gift. In Matthew 13, 52, I love Jesus says this. He says, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out the store of the storeroom new treasures as well as old. Once again, Jesus being a good teacher about teaching. It's so meta. It's great. So basically, he says, a good teacher is someone who is like, when you go into the storeroom and you think you know all the treasures, right? Like, you know what's in your pantry. And then they bring, a good teacher will bring out new stuff you didn't even know was in there. Isn't that a great example of teaching? That you'll see something new in, in the Word of God. Here we are. Now, so you might say, well, maybe I'm a teacher. I don't know. Let me give you some hints that maybe this is how God has equipped you. Maybe you've never thought of yourself this way. Maybe some of these apply to you. Maybe some of them won't. But get thinking about it. So you may be a teacher if the library is one of your best friends. You love the library. You are always giving friends books or recommending podcasts. You've got to read this book. Let me tell you, it changed my life. Here's the thing you need to read. You own a big study Bible. You love to use it. People have told you that you helped them understand something they didn't before. When they were struggling with learning something, you were able to explain it in a way that they made sense to them. And you take joy when someone gets something they didn't before. That brings you joy. You're like, oh, this clicked with them. That was so exciting for me. Another, next slide. There's more. Another one is that you love to learn and research. It may be that you're actually building into that teaching gift. You have a passion for truth. And things being right, right information matters to you. And here's one I already joked about. If you've ever sent a pastor just a follow-up email with a few suggestions or questions, I think there's a good chance God's gifted you as a teacher. And of course, you might be a teacher if you work as a teacher. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> the good ones you can tell, can't you? Researcher. Perhaps um, an administrator, an editor. Those are where teachers often end up. Or you love teaching. Like you're like, I love teaching. Probably a good sign that's how God's made you. How do we use the gift then? And there are so many ways in a church. We see how teaching is used in the world. This is probably one of the most obvious ones, right? I say teacher, like, I know what teachers do. I've had them. 
and you can tell the really good ones. Um, but in a church, we use this gift because teaching in this way is helping people specifically know the truth of God. And in a church, you might say, well, I know where the teachers are. They do what you do. And I would say that this is one of the ways God has made me. Hopefully you agree, because <laughs> you have to listen to me most weeks. And so you might say, well, last week you mentioned being a shepherd. And I want to say here that often shepherding and teaching go together. A shepherd teacher is a very common kind of gift pattern, so just to name that. But teaching, um, many of our teachers will come up here, but that's not all. Obviously, some of them teach Sunday school or youth group, or they lead small groups. A lot of our teachers end up leading our pods, and they end up leading our small groups or Bible studies. But that's not all. That's often where we stop when we think of what teaching can do. There are many other ways teachers work. I already mentioned how Amanda uses this gift of teaching in mentoring often, that she meets with someone one-on-one. -on -one. Teachers often make amazing researchers. I'm seeing if some of these same ones are up here. So researching, which is not there, is a great example of what teachers do. Let me give you a fun example of a teaching gift. Some of you may know the church, The Meeting House. It's one of the biggest churches in southern Ontario, and they do like um, a satellite system. So they have a main teacher whose name is Bruxy Cavey. Some of you may have heard of him. And then his teaching is actually streamed out to other sites and people gather to watch it. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people listen to Bruxy Cavey. If you've ever heard him, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he is a gifted teacher. Um, I spoke at the meeting house last year and I'll let you in on a little secret of another teacher. And so if any of you are teachers and you say to yourself, oh man, like I do, like that teaching's so good, how did I get there? Like, I wish I could be as good as him or her or whatever. I feel that way about Bruxy sometimes. Bruxy has a full-time assistant who researches for him, which is great. It makes sense, right? They're a huge church. Her name is Beck. And so Beck was saying, whenever we do a new series, I read all the books, and I give Bruxy the best ones with the highlights of what he should read. <laughs> I'm interested in a Beck, if any one of you... <laughs> no. But my point is that, and there's no shame in that, right? Like, he, does, he teaches tens of thousands of people. But you know who else has the gift of teaching? Beck, right? That's how God uses her, and she helps that happen. Teachers are great at giving feedback, right? Saying, oh, have you thought of doing this? Have you thought of doing that? Sometimes teachers write. They like to write blogs. Maybe they like to, some write books, or they write articles. They get, um, they off, maybe you host YouTube channels, podcasts. They work great on boards and in leadership situations, and they're great at helping other groups, right? And so even gathering other groups and helping them learn how to run. For example, Julie Bailey always does training for our Impact Hamilton team. So she uses our, her gift of teaching to help our Impact Hamilton team learn how to shepherd the kids who work every summer. That's pretty great. So here's some ways you can use your gifts. And I hope if you're starting to think, maybe I'm a teacher, you'll see how God can use you in the body of Christ. And remember that it's God who has made you this way and use those things for God. But, and you'll see a pattern in how I'm doing these sermons. I also want to speak to those of you who are teachers for a moment, and then I'm going to speak to those of you who aren't. Or if you think you might be a teacher, or maybe you're in a season of teaching, because sometimes we have seasons where we're in kind of certain gifts more than others. So the teaching gift comes with its challenges. And let me share a few of the challenges that I think sometimes happen, and I've asked a couple of teachers that affirm they've felt these, and what you, not all of them, some might resonate, some might not, and how then you can respond. So if you have the gift of teaching, one of the things that I think can sometimes be struggle, difficult for teachers is that they can get stuck in the information. And what I mean by that is there is always more information. I just want to read one more book. If I just read a 
couple more articles, then I'll be ready to teach the Bible study, right? If I just get a little more information. I remember when I was writing my thesis, in my, um, when I was doing my Master's Divinity degree, at one point, this was easy enough to trip me up. I was just doing, uh, like it wasn't a dissertation and it wasn't, it was a thesis within my program, which was only worth two credits. And I remember at some point going, I cannot read every book and I have to let it go or I'm never gonna write this thing, right? And that can be a hard thing. And so one of my invitations to you, if you're always like, you know, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I just need to get more information, I need to learn more, I need to learn more, is that teachers, sometimes we just gotta set a goal and when that date comes, we just gotta do it. For me, it's called every Sunday. <laughs> but you may need to set your own, right? I would always love to be able to do more, but maybe there's a time where you're like, you know what? Next fall, I'm going to lead a pod. There's not going to be a magic moment that I know everything. Just going to do it. Another challenge for teachers uh, can sometimes be the struggle to have influence without wisdom. And this was that wonderful example from Acts of a man named Apollos, who was in some ways not teaching the best information, even though his intentions were good. And in fact, it can happen without good intentions. And the gift of teaching is a very, very dangerous one when it is misused. The Bible warns us about false teachers. And so one of the dangers is that someone uses that incredibly charismatic teaching gift to teach things that are wrong and that are dangerous. And some of you, if you have that gift of teaching, can rely on that gift to the point that you actually don't get all the information you could. It's a hard balance. And so one of the ways we, need, we can avoid that and realize that, you know, am I just influencing without being ready, is that we need to seek the feedback and wisdom of others. We need mentors in our life to let us know when we are ready. I started preaching when I was very young, and I want to tell you, if I could go back and undo a lot of those sermons, I sure would have, but I was ready to go. Um, but you... And it doesn't mean that I necessarily shouldn't have, but it's good to have mentors that speak into your life and let you know if you're quite ready. Another challenge for teachers is that sometimes we can be too heady to be practical. Too heady, right? And maybe some of you have had this experience. You have someone who has this incredible gift in front of you. They've learned a ton, and you hear them, and you're just like, whoo, I have not got a clue what they are talking about. And it can certainly be a shame if God has allowed us to acquire so much useful info that we don't quite find the way to communicate to those in a way that they can actually use it, right? And so it can be hard for some of us to take that stuff if we learn in, in any field and then make it accessible for those who need it. And so some feedback to that would be when you teach, ask someone, did that make sense? Did you follow that? Was it useful? And sometimes we can then just well, like, oh, well, they just weren't very smart. Or, you know, like, I just want to go deeper. And some pastors do that, right? This is a classic pastor line. Well, if people just don't want to go deep into Scripture, it's not my fault if they don't understand. No, it actually is your fault. Like, as a teacher, it's our job to figure out how to make the Word of God make sense. It doesn't mean you'll always understand everything. But we can't just stay in our own head and say, well, if they don't get it, that's on them. Sometimes we can teach prematurely. And this connects to influence without wisdom, which there I was thinking more false teachers. But to get back to that same idea that we can teach before we're ready. And one of the verses that often, and I think quite appropriately, gets used when we talk about teaching is James chapter 3 and verse 1. And this can be a scary one for some of us. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
So there's this idea here that if you purport yourself to be a teacher, God is going to hold you to account for what you have taught. And so you might say, but you just told me not to get stuck in my head, and now I'm going to get even more stuck in my head. Uh, But we need to be aware that we need to keep learning. And as much as we may feel we have that teaching gift, I just have so much to say I want to teach and teach, how are we continuing to learn? For those of us who are maybe have already had our education, are the things we need to keep reading, keep learning? For some of you, it may be a matter of joining a Bible study, joining a pod, maybe taking a course, even going to Bible college. And then finally, another challenge for teachers that I hear a lot is the struggle to be fed. And maybe you don't know what I mean by that word, but what I mean is, um, and I hear this a lot, especially from people who have that gift of learning and they've studied a lot. They say, you know, I just can't find a church because the sermons are so simple and they just don't feed me. And that can be hard, right? It can be hard when you've learned a lot and then things feel like you just can't find that good fit for you. Now, I know that the way that's often addressed is, this, is that what I often see that I don't think is helpful is people just going from church to church or leader to leader or podcast to podcast, thinking they're suddenly going to magically find the thing that feeds them enough. There is, of course, ways we continue learning, and that's important. But at some point, our challenge then is to receive humility from God and to realize that what maybe God has to teach us from that pastor or that church isn't more information but they may actually have something different to teach us, even if we don't feel information is exactly enough, that there may be a way we'll be transformed in that community, and that you know what? Because we're the body of Christ, we actually can learn from everybody. Everybody can teach us something. So I hope those invitations, those of you who are teachers, can consider what God may have for you in that today. But lots of us here aren't teachers, and you'll say, yeah, that one's definitely not me. Maybe you're pretty confident about that. This series is about how we grow as a body, how we acknowledge how the church all works together. And so then we also need to be looking after our teachers and thinking of them. And so how do we love our teachers, right? As you're thinking, as you're sitting there, and you may be like, I don't think this is me, at least not in this season, but I can think of others who are. Here's some ways that you can love the teachers in our body. One is to thank them. This is probably going to be the one we say every week. So we thank them, you know, if someone preaches a sermon, say, thanks for that sermon, you know, a guest. If someone is leading your Bible study, thank them for the time they put in. Similarly, one of the greatest ways you love a teacher is when you engage them. Now, I joked about sending emails. I love emails. It means they listen to the sermon, right? Even if you disagreed with it, it's like, oh, they were listening, great news. And if you engage them, That can look like so many things, right? It can mean listening to the material they have to offer that they prepared, respecting how much time they have put in, and just acknowledging, you know, as they're teaching, to just at the end ask a question or two, or say, I really like that point, because they probably worked really hard on it if they're teaching you that Bible study or that workshop or what have you. I think another way we love our teachers is to appreciate their need for information. And I think this applies on boards and committees, right? The teacher in the room will be the one that wants to gather more information, right? So we say, oh, we want to start this new ministry. You can probably identify the teacher if they're the ones who say, well, I think we should really do some research about that. Really like to step back, maybe talk to some people, see how they feel, maybe read a book or two, look at some uh, local statistics, right? That's what a teacher does because they gather information. And some of us may tempted to say, oh, can't we just move forward? The teachers can frustrate us in those moments, right, because we want to move forward. But that's a gift that they're giving us. 
And so on one hand, we love them when we just appreciate that they're giving us something valuable, that, right, they're going to ground us. They're going to keep us from running astray. But we can also appreciate that they need that and love them by giving them the time, right? <laughs> giving them the time to get the information they need, understanding that they might not be ready to jump in with two feet the minute we are. And, of course, we can learn from our teachers. As I've said before, although there's ways that God may have equipped, equipped us and we kind of fit in these big senses of the ways God has made us and called us, there will always be seasons where we need to use all these things. And so there'll be times when you're like, I really don't know how to do this, right? I'm a parent. I've got kids. I have no idea how to answer their questions about the Bible. Been there? You know who's a great person to ask? A teacher. I suggest Judy Bailey. <laughs> Just Among others. There'll be times when you're like, I need to, uh, you know, speak into the situation. I'm not sure what to do. A teacher can help you. So even if we are not teachers, we need truth and we can learn from teachers. They help us see the value of seeking truth. Teachers are great people to ask how to study your Bible, to ask how to learn more, to ask what is good and wise to read and what isn't. But ultimately, teachers matter to God, not just because they'll help us learn more or help us grow, um, but because God has made them. Teachers ground us, and we need them. And I want to say to all our teachers here, we need you to use your gifts in all kinds of different ways. You are part of God's body. And when you teach us as God has made you, you honor God. You honor what God's doing, and God's work is evident in your life. It is clear that God is speaking through you. And so I'd like to pray. And I invite you, um, my desire as we continue these sermons again is to think about how God has made you and that if God has made you in a way that you're thinking, I'm starting to see where God is placing me and how I can use that best because I believe that will be joy to serve in those ways. Um, you can do that. Or again, you can continue to think of how, how can I support teachers and recognize what they do for the body. So God, we lift our teachers up to you. We lift those that they uh, support, and we thank you for their role in our body. We pray that we would continue to honor you as we acknowledge the ways you have made us, that you may receive all the glory. Amen.